right, go ahead and make your way back to your seats. How about now? Is this thing on? There we go. All right, go ahead and make your way back to your seats. That'll get your attention. That'll get your attention. I'm doing it on purpose. Let's do it one more time. There we go. One more time. We'll get it, figure it out. Hey, uh, let me just say this real quick. Actually, membership tonight is 5 to 6.30, okay? So if you're planning on being here from like 4 to 6.30 or whatever, uh, you're going to be early. So just to let you know, it's from 5 to 6.30 here, okay? So I just want to let you know that. Uh, If you are a guest, uh, welcome. I want to say that once again. My name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful and thankful that you are with us this morning. Uh, If you are a guest, we are going through a series on the book of Philippians. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite all of us or all of you to turn uh, to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, We're going to start in verse 12. So uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you. The verses will, uh, there they are, they're on the screen as well. So let's start reading together in verse 12. God's word says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, I want to start by asking that you would um, comfort those families who were affected over the weekend by the Norman school bus that, uh, that crashed. Father, we ask that you would Uh, bring healing to those who were hurt and comfort to the kids and the families who were affected by this crash. We're thankful, Father, to our understanding that there was no major, major, major injuries. There were some, uh, but it looks like everyone is going to be okay. So we praise you and thank you for your mercy and grace in that. And Father, we also ask that you'll comfort those who were affected by the tsunami in Indonesia. Father, we know that uh, many have lost their lives as a result of uh, the tsunami and the the numbers seem to be uh, growing. And so, Father, we ask that you would comfort those families who uh, may have lost loved ones in that. And, Father, we ask that um, through this that your grace and your mercy that's found in the gospel would advance in that country and among that people group as a result of of this. That, Father, that you would pour out your grace and mercy upon uh, the people of Indonesia in this time. And that, Father, that you would pour your grace and mercy uh, uh, upon us as we 
as we take the time to listen to your word and as we take the time to listen to the purpose that you have in this world and that is to advance the gospel of the glory of your son to all peoples of the earth that we would father see this vision and this purpose for which you have for us this call upon our lives to take the good news of the gospel to those who are lost and perishing. That, Father, that those of us in this room who have not put our faith and trust in your Son, that you would give us eyes to see this morning our need for Jesus and that we would flee to him and find salvation in him. And those of us who have, who have that you would call us and empower us and awaken us this morning to the call that you have placed upon us to go and take the gospel to all peoples. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. What is your purpose in life? When you wake up in the morning, every morning, what is it that you live for? Now, the answer to this question, you have to begin to think about what in your life do you see as most important to you? So in other words, think about these questions. What consumes your time? What captivates your thoughts? What do you get most excited about? What do you talk most about? You see, the answer to these questions reveals what you see as the purpose of your life is. But also the answer to this question also reveals what you love and treasure the most. What you think about will captivate your, your time and your heart and your, and your affection reveals where your treasure is. So in verse 12 of this text, we see clearly what the purpose of Paul's life was and we see clearly what Paul loved the most more than anything. Verse 12 reveals to us that all of Paul's life, what consumed his time and his thoughts and, and, and everything about him was the advancement of the gospel. So here Paul is sitting in prison and he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he knows that the church in Philippi is wanting to know how he is doing. They know that he is suffering in prison by being chained up. And they want to know how our beloved pastor in Paul, how he is doing. So if I was called, my family was called to go and take the gospel to, let's say, North uh, Korea, and we go and we preach the gospel, and we are arrested for preaching the gospel, you would want to know how I am doing. At least, I hope you would. I believe you would. You would want to know how I'm doing. How is my family, how am I doing as a result of sitting in prison, as a result of sharing the gospel? And so that's where we are at. The church of Philippi desperately wants to know how their beloved pastor is doing. Now, what does Paul say to them? So this is, this is the first part of this letter where he begins to say, I want you to know. I want you to know something. And he wants them to know more than anything else, all right? So he's not thinking about himself. You, you, you notice in this verse, verse 12, he doesn't mention himself. He's not even thinking about himself. 
There is something that Paul loves more. There is something that is more important to Paul than his own well-being, even more than his own life, and that is the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So more than anything in his life, this was Paul's all-consuming passion and desire. He desired the advancement of the gospel more than his own well-being and even more than his own life because in Jesus, Paul not only found the purpose of his life, but he also found the greatest treasure that was worth everything to him that enabled him to give up everything in his life, including his own well-being and his own life. You see, at one time, Paul had a different purpose in life. He, his all-consuming passion of his life at one time was to know God, but this knowing God came through religious accomplishments. So, Paul believed at one time that if he prayed and fasted just enough, that if he went to enough religious services, that if he sought to obey all God's laws and commandments, that God would accept his efforts and therefore God would justify Paul by his religious acts and accomplishments. So he believed that the way to God, the way to salvation, the way to eternal life was all a matter of his own doing and right living through his religious activities, his religious duties, his religious accomplishments. That if he obeyed God just enough, then God would accept him. And so, because this was his, his, his worldview, his understanding of how to know God and how to be in right relationship with God, the all-consuming passion and purpose of his life was to give up everything, to do these religious accomplishments and these religious duties so that God would love him and forgive him and be pleased with him and accept him. So what Paul reveals to us in Philippians chapter 3 he shows us this. He, he reveals kind of his, his former life. He reveals what his old passion and purpose in life was in chapter 3, verse 4, when he says this. He says, If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's saying, if anyone else has, has reason for confidence in looking to these outward acts of religious accomplishments and duties and sacrifices in order for God to accept me and love me and be pleased with me, to justify me, to have salvation, like I am the greatest. I, I've got more religious trophies than anyone else. He says, I was circumcised. On the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under law, I was blameless. So what Paul is saying is that one time, what he loved the most was his own self-righteousness. Because he believed that what he did determined how God saw him and how God would treat him. And so he believed that it was through his righteousness, his outward acts of religious duty, religious services, religious accomplishments that would ultimately obtain his salvation. And so at the end of the day, Paul's purpose in life was to save himself. 
Now, at one time, this was my purpose in life too. And it's how many people today still see the way to know God. And maybe even many of us in this room this morning. That if we do just enough good things, that if we attend church just enough, if we give just enough to God and to the church, if we read our Bibles just enough, if we pray just enough, if we get baptized, if we are part of a certain denomination, if we go on enough mission trips that God would actually see the good things that we do and he would be pleased with us and he would accept us. Listen, if we're honest with ourselves, there's probably many of us here this morning that think if we do enough of the right things and not do the wrong things, then God is going to enjoy us and be pleased with us that we can maintain this right relationship with God based on what we do. But if we don't do the right things, you better watch out, right? Because God's going to be angry and he's going to get you. Something bad's going to happen to you as a result of not doing the right things. And so we come into this place this morning, coming to church, believing that God is going to actually accept us and love us as a result of coming into this place. And he's going to actually give us a really good week as a result of coming in here. Or maybe, you know, if, if you give just enough money, if you read your Bible just enough, or if you pray just enough, or if you fast, that's somehow going to make up to your indifference towards God this week, and he's going to be happy with you. Listen, I want you to think about this question, and I want you to think about it deeply. Do you believe that the way God ultimately sees you and treats you is based on what you do. Think about that. In other words, do you believe that what you do ultimately determines how God sees you and treats you? Listen, if we're honest with ourselves, we all kind of have to say yes to this because this is the natural human condition. At the deepest part of us, guys, there lies this belief and this thought that we believe that what we do determines how God ultimately sees us and treats us. And every single one of us in this place this morning desires for God to see us favorably, right? I mean, we, we all have this desire, even uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you believe that there is a God out there. Every single one of us wants God to see us in this favorable light. And so our purpose becomes doing the right things and striving not to do the bad things so God will see us in a good light and he will treat us favorably. But you know what this does? It actually, as Paul is saying, it actually pushes us further and further and further and further and further away from God because at the end of the day, our self-righteousness does not obtain salvation. It actually damns us because there is no salvation in our own righteousness. And it actually brings us to this place where we don't really know for sure how God sees us and how he will treat us. You see, this way of living and thinking brings us to this place where God becomes a God 
who we never really ever know, does he love us? Does he care about us? Is he for my good? Does he desire and take pleasure in doing me good? I mean, listen, if the answer to these questions, if God loves us and if he, if he treats us kindly, if it's all determined based on what we do, then you can never really know the answer to these questions, right? Listen, do you find yourself this morning struggling to believe that God actually likes you? I mean, do you have a hard time believing that God actually desires and takes pleasure in doing you good? And maybe you find yourself this morning and maybe all your life really having a hard time ever truly loving God and liking God. Perhaps it's because you believe. The way God sees you and treats you is determined based on what you do. And because of this, God has never become your greatest treasure. He's never captivated your heart and your mind. He doesn't consume. When you think about God, he doesn't consume and rapture your heart. And why should he? I mean, if this is true, right? If this is true that God sees you and treats you based on what you do, how could God ever captivate your heart? I mean, how could he become your greatest treasure. He can't and he won't. But listen very carefully. God wants us to see this morning this way of living and this way of thinking is, is totally bankrupt because this is not the way to know God. The, way to God. the way to know God, the way to maintain a right relationship with God, the way to get into a right relationship with God is not based on your religious accomplishments and what you can do for God. It is based 100% on the accomplishments of the person of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what Paul saw and received and treasured above everything else in his life. And we see it in chapter three, verse seven. Listen to this glorious news. Paul says that whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so he's saying whatever gain I had through all my religious accomplishments, thinking that everything that I do externally for God is actually going to put me in right relationship with God. I see all of it and I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. You see, he said, indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung or manure in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So this is what Paul is saying. Listen very carefully. The most freeing and glorious and awesome and best news ever that Paul came to see and receive and treasure is that God's acceptance of him is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He says, all that I have done, guys, all that I have done, all, all these religious acts and services, to try to make up for my, uh, for my sin and for my rebellion and, and to, to, to have God accept me and please with me, all of it, it all amounts to nothing. 
The circumcision, the right living, the prayers, the fasting, the obedience to the law, all of it. I was looking to all these external things for God to accept me and be pleased with me and forgive me and obtain salvation. It's all garbage. It's all, he uses the word dong. It's manure. It's, it's, it's a pile of poop. All of it is. Because none of it put me in this right favor from God and acceptance of God. It actually pushed me further and further and further and further away from Him because in all of my religious acts and services, I was looking to those things to be made right with God and it pushed me away because those things actually damned me. But I have found the, I have found the answer. I have found the treasure he says, I have found Christ. And that answer is in Christ being found in him. God now sees and treats Paul like Christ. Guys, that is huge. He's saying that God sees me and treats me now, not based on what I do, but on the accomplishments of Christ. Righteousness? I have it. In myself? No. In Christ. Forgiveness? I have it in myself, no, in Christ. The favor of God, I have it. The love of God, I have it. The pleasure of God, I have it. Salvation, I have it. Eternal life, I have it. Resurrection from the dead, I have it. Enjoying God forever, I have it. In myself, no, in Christ, yes. And because of this, because of Christ, because all that I have found in Christ, the immeasurable riches that comes from knowing Christ because of him, I'm willing to give up everything. I have found the way to know God. I have found the way to eternal life. I have found the way to salvation. I have found the way to enjoy God forever. And it's not based on what I have done. It is based through the accomplishments and the life, death, and resurrection of the person named Jesus Christ and being found in him. Everything that the, the son is and the way that the father sees him, boom, on me. We talked about this last, maybe two weeks ago. Being hidden in Christ. The way God sees you and treats you is now based on what Christ deserves and not necessarily what on you deserve, but based on the accomplishments of Christ. Is this your story? Like Paul, do you have Christ? Are you found in him? If so, then do you realize that you have the greatest treasure that this world can never, ever offer you? I mean, think about what you have in Christ. Because you are in Christ, you have the pleasure of God all over you. Because you are in Christ, you have his death applied to you, and now you are forgiven. Because you're in Christ, you have his resurrection applied to you, and now you have the resurrection from the dead, the hope of eternal life with God. What else in this world can give you that? You want the, the love of God? You want the favor of God? You want God to see you in good light? You've got it because you have it in Christ. 
And he will always, 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 now and into eternity, see you in light of his son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to forfeit that. There's nothing that you can do now to disqualify yourself for that. No matter what you do, nothing can separate you from this union. Now, what you do can affect your communion with the Father, but not your union. It'll never take you out of that relationship now, being a, being a father, son, daughter relationship, one that he rejoices over you and sings over you and declares you as forgiven and righteous and his child. Nothing can take that from you if you are in Christ. Now again, your, your communion and relationship and intimacy with the Father does come back to what you do in the sense of your pursuit of him in prayer and, and coming to church and reading your Bible. That affects your communion and intimacy, but not your union and position as a son and daughter. Does that make sense? You have now the greatest treasure that this world desperately needs. You've got the immeasurable riches that comes from knowing Christ. And as a result of that, you've got a whole new purpose in life. Whole new purpose. Because at the end of the day, as we're going to see in just a moment, God's purpose, God's purpose in this world is to spread this treasure that's found in Christ to all peoples of the, of the earth. God's purpose for you and me as followers of Jesus, as the church, is to advance the gospel to all nations of the earth. Look again at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, guys, listen very carefully. We have to understand and see that throughout the whole New Testament, what we see is that God's purpose is for the advancement of the gospel to all peoples, all nations of this earth. And so Jesus gave this promise to his disciples before he left this world and before he went to back to his father, he gave this promise to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this is what he says. This is the promise. He says, in this gospel of the kingdom, or so this gospel of my kingdom, where I'm going to rule and reign over all things, and I'm going to establish new heavens and the earth, where, where Christ Jesus is king and rules, reigns over all things, the good news of my reign, the good news of my kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to what? To all nations, and then the end will come. So guys, the promise of Jesus' final return is directly connected to the proclamation of the gospel throughout the whole world, okay? So we don't know when the end will come. We don't know when Jesus will return, but we do know that his return to, is connected to the fact that all nations will hear the gospel and then the end will come. And so this is the promise. So in light of that promise, this is the command that Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes back to the Father in Acts 1-7. So the promise is, hey, I'm going to return when the gospel is preached to all nations. So therefore, here's the command. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. 
So it's, it's not for us to, to know uh, when the end will come and when uh, Jesus will finally return. But he says this, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you realize, guys, that this is God's purpose today in the world? For his followers, those of us who claim to be followers of Christ, to be in Christ, God's purpose for our lives is that in the power of the Holy Spirit that we will take the gospel out from this place. So we see this clearly in Paul. So here, Paul is in prison, right? He's in prison for, for advancing the gospel. But how is he advancing the gospel? How is he fulfilling this, 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 this command and this promise and this purpose? Well, we see that through Paul's imprisonment, God placed Paul at the center of the heart of the most powerful regime in the world at that time, and that was Rome. So here, God brings Paul in the center of the most powerful government, the powerful kingdom in the world. And what do we see happen? We see the gospel advancing up the ranks of the imperial guard and all the way into the house of Caesar. All right, so Paul knows that if, if the gospel could advance all the way up to the ranks of these imperial guards right in the house of Caesar, then if Caesar comes to faith in Jesus as a result of these imperial guards sharing them, man, the impact of the kingdom would advance significantly. But also, these imperial guards are sent out to like the areas and the authorities and the places that Rome has authority over. So what's amazing, guys, is that as we see this, where Paul is, so even in the midst of suffering, is not just a consequence to mission, okay? So suffering to follow Christ is not just a consequence, but we see from this text that actually suffering at times is the strategy that leads to mission. And that's pretty important for us to see and understand. That throughout all of history, we see it in Paul and we see it with some of the greatest missionaries that ever lived and we even see it at times in our own life. That God places us wherever he has us, even in the midst of suffering, for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Not keeping the gospel to ourselves, but the, but the purpose of your career the purpose for your students uh, of why you're actually at the University of Oklahoma, your education, parents, your, your parenting or the school in which your kids go to, it, all of it serves this means to advance the gospel right where God has you, even in our own neighborhoods. So over the past couple months, the missional community that I'm in, we have spent a lot of time coming up with the mission and vision for our missional community. And so we have come to this place where our mission as our missional community is that everyone in Monroe School District will hear the gospel. Now our vision is that as a result of us living that out and proclaiming the gospel in the Monroe School District, that four families will come to know Christ as a result of us living this out over the next year, 
Okay? So our mission is that we want everyone to hear the gospel, and our vision is through that, that four families will come to know Christ as a result of that. And so just this week, three people in our missional community were intentional in taking the gospel out to their neighbors. So two guys were invited over to a neighbor's house to watch a football game, and one of the wife of the other neighbor came over to one of the ladies' house within our missional community. And so that night, guys, that night, the neighbor heard the story of hope and salvation that's found only in Jesus Christ through one of the ladies in our missional community sharing their story of how they came to know the one who saves, redeems, and restores. They got out of their comfort zone. They risked their reputation. They laid down their love of comfort and their love of approval. And they took the gospel into the heart of someone who desperately needs the hope and life of salvation that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, this is your purpose. And this is the purpose for us as a church. This is the purpose for our missional communities. That through us, God is on mission to redeem a lost world and city. That through us, God is using us to spread the gospel of the glory of Christ into every neighborhood and living room and workplace and school dress district in this, in this city. And hopefully, he will call many of us to go to the nations. So see, if you don't already, see the purpose of your life in light of God's purpose for your life. So what this means is tomorrow morning, what are you going to do? Ask the Father. Pray this prayer. Jesus, I know that you're alive because I know that you live and dwell within me. So use me. Use me right where I am at to advance the gospel. And because you are alive and because you have authority over all flesh and because this is your mission and you are the one who brings people to yourself, then give me boldness and fearlessness to go and proclaim the gospel knowing that the fruit of my proclamation is up to you. When's the last time you prayed this prayer? For me, it's been a while too. I'm assuming it's been a while since we've all prayed it. Maybe I'm wrong, but when I begin to look at my life, this one simple prayer as I start the morning, having a new perspective on everything of my life, to wake up in the morning and say, Father, use me. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I desire for others to come to know you like I have come to know you, so use me. Guys, what if we prayed this prayer? What if we together collectively as the body of Christ, what, what if we began to pray this prayer every single morning when we woke up? And maybe at lunchtime we, we pray it again, right? Because we're quick to forget. As we go to soccer practice, as we do, you know, all our things. Father, use, what would happen if we collectively begin to pray, pray, pray this prayer? I'm confident because it's God's purpose and promise that if we begin to pray this prayer and live it out, that we will see the Lord continue to use us in great and mighty ways to advance the gospel in this city. Do you long for this? You want this? 
Do you rejoice in the fact that Christ is proclaimed? Do you, do you want to proclaim him? Yes. Yes, we do. I know that's awkward at times. I ask those questions and you don't know you're supposed to respond. You can respond, right? Yes, we want the gospel to be proclaimed. We want to be used by God to tell others the good news of salvation that we have found in Christ. And when we begin to pray this and when we begin to see uh, others do this, you know what happens? Man, we become more bold and fearless to do the same. As we see others taking risks and going and proclaiming the gospel, it produces this boldness and fearlessness within us to do the very same. Look at verse 14. Let's see this happen. Paul says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so guys, when you hear someone, I mean, when I just shared that story of, uh, of the people in our missional community being faithful and taking the gospel out to their neighbors and you actually heard them actually doing it, what does that do? It should produce this, this desire and this encouragement that says, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it too. This boldness and this fearlessness. And that's what's that's what happening here in, in, in Rome. So Paul is in prison and there's many Christians in Rome who are seeing what's happening to Paul. And as a result of seeing Paul's persecution and imprisonment and continuing to preach the gospel, even though uh, it may lead to death, it has fueled them and it's motivated them to actually do the same, even though it may cost them their lives. Guys, that story that I just told about three people in our missional community being faithful in proclaiming the gospel, listen, they, they didn't experience the same suffering as Paul did, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to experience that kind of suffering in this, in this culture today in, in Norman, Oklahoma. But you know what they did? They did risk their reputations. They, they did lay down their comfort and their love of approval. And this is a big deal. Why? Because think about what prevents you from sharing the gospel. I mean, if you're like me, it's reputation. It's uh, this fear of being disapproved of. It's this, uh, this love of comfort. We all struggle with it. I mean, these are, are the things that we love more than proclaiming the gospel. We love our reputations. We love our, uh, the love of approval. We love the, the love of comfort more than Christ and proclaiming Christ. Now, when we begin to understand and see others within the body actually laying those things down, it fuels and motivates us to go and proclaim the gospel. So suffering, seeing people suffer for the sake of, God, of the gospel produces this encouragement and boldness and fear, fear, fearlessness for us to do the same. So this is what I want to do. I want us to go outside these doors right now and we'll go down the street and start proclaiming the gospel. Y'all want to do it? All right, I'll just share a story with you in hopes that I actually will produce this boldness and fearlessness that we actually go and open our mouths and not be silent. And I want you to hear what this family gave up for the sake of Christ and for others to come to know him. The first missionaries 
sent out from the church in the United States was a family, their last name were the Judsons, Adoniram. Don't you love that name? Adoniram and his, and his, and his wife, Anne, they left the United States and went to a country called Burma, or now it's called Myanmar. And so February 5th, 1812, they get on a boat and they sail to the country of Burma. Now they live in this country where uh, the threat of of uh, diseases was a daily reality for them. Malaria, cholera was, uh, was this daily fear that, that them or one of their kids would, would, uh, would, 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 would get this disease and it would take their life. And in, in fact, uh, it was one of these diseases that actually took Anne's life. And it took seven of Adoniram's 13 children. So imagine that. Imagine taking your family to some place that's unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ and risking your own life to rescue those who are perishing and lost without the hope of the gospel. They gave up everything. I mean, literally, they gave up everything, not their reputations, not not their love of comfort and approval, though they did, they gave up their own lives. Took six years before they saw the first person come to believe the gospel. Six years. But 19 years later, so 19 years living with this grief and this pain of seeing your wife and your children, their lives taken as a result of you moving to this place in hopes of proclaiming the gospel and rescuing those who are lost and perishing. 19 years later, Adoniram and those with him saw a movement of the spirit in that country that they've never seen before. And he writes this, listen very carefully. He says, the spirit of inquiry is spreading everywhere. We have distributed nearly 10,000 gospel tracts, giving to none but those who ask. And now people are coming from two or three months journey, asking us, sir, we hear that there is an eternal hell and we are afraid of it. Do give us a writing that will tell us how to escape it. Others are asking, sir, we have seen a writing that tells us about an eternal God and you, and are you the man that gives such writings? If so, give us one. For we want to know the truth before we die. And others are asking, are you Jesus Christ's man? Give us the writing that tells us about Jesus Christ. Through the sufferings of Adoniram and Anne and their children. Today, there are close to 3,700 churches in Miramar who can trace their existence to this family who sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel. I mean, countless people in Miramar found eternal life in Christ because they gave up everything. They risked their lives for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others to come to know him. So the question is, what are we willing to give up? What are we willing to give up for the sake of knowing Christ and making him known in this city? What is worth more to you than the glory of Christ and the glory of people coming to know him? I mean, is your reputation and your love of comfort and approval worth more than that? Guys, may we be awakened. 
May we be awakened from our comfortable lives, living for the American dream and see there is a purpose so much more glorious and better than the comforts of the American dream. May, he, may, may the Lord free us from the busyness of life that, that prevents us from knowing Christ and making him known. For here is the reality for us, guys. We only have one life to live. How are we going to live it? May we live it to spread the gospel of the glory of Christ and advance his kingdom. For I tell you the truth, everything else that we will live for, most everything else we will live for, you will one day regret. You're not going to look back on your life when your life is about to be over and say, you know what, I wish I would have worked more. I wish I would have made some more money. I wish I would have watched more Netflix, but you will never, ever, ever regret looking back on your life, living to spread the gospel of the glory of Christ. You will never regret that. As you look back on your life, risking your life, giving your life up, giving your time and your resources and, your, and, and everything in you to rescue those who are perishing with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is not known, guys. His grace is unknown. And people are perishing without the hope of the gospel. Are you Jesus Christ, man or woman? Then lay your life down. Lay your comfort and approval down. Give it up. And boldly give the hope of life and salvation that's found in the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. Guys, our prayer and the vision and mission of this church is that God would use us. Lord, use us. Use us to saturate this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Free us from our comforts and our comfortable lives. Call many of us. Our prayer is that he will call many of us, not just to go with the gospel in the city, but man, that we would go to foreign lands to saturate those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and this morning are unreached and perishing without the hope of the gospel, and we've got it. We've got it. Use us. Use us in this city. Use us in our neighborhoods. Use us in our, in our schools. Use us and across the campus of OU to spread the gospel of the glory of Christ. Is this your prayer? You want to make it your prayer? That's an answer. You can answer yes. May we today, tomorrow as we get up, may this be our prayer. May it be our all-consuming passion to know Christ and make him known. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this glorious news of the gospel. That, Father, through the work of your Son, that he has accomplished everything for us to be in right relationship with you, and as a result of being found in him, we have the righteousness that we need to come into your presence. We have the blood of Jesus that forgives us of all of our sins to come into your presence. You've put your spirit living and dwelling within me, within us. And when you see us through the lens of your son, you see us in light of him. And you rejoice over us as you rejoice in your son. You get the same love for us as you, as you have for your son. Oh, Father, 
This is what we have been longing for and looking for all of our lives, to be in relationship with you and knowing that your love for us is solid and secure because of Jesus. Your acceptance of us is solid and secure because of Jesus. Our eternal life and resurrection from the dead is secure because of Jesus. And this, Father, causes us to, to want to know you more and to love you more and, and want others to come to know this reality that we have eternal life in you, that we have salvation in you. We want to give it away. So empower us through your spirit to do that today and tomorrow, that you would awaken us, Father. For many of us, we, we know, we, 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 we know the reality. We, we know what you've called us to, but there is this disconnect at times, Father, that doesn't, that doesn't allow us to take these steps to actually share, but you, through your spirit, will give us boldness to share. Because you're worth it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.